Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Panier, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. On March 19th last year, a new president was inaugurated into office in Turkmenistan. That person was Serdar Berdimukhamedov, whose father, Gurban Guli Berdimukhamedov, had been the Turkmen president for more than 15 years before stepping aside to allow his son to take over as president. Except Papa Berdimukhamedov never really left Turkmenistan's political scene. In this program, we look at what happened in Turkmenistan during Serdar's first year in power and try to take stock of Turkmenistan's situation now. To discuss all this, I am joined by Ainabat Yailimova, founder and executive director of Progress Foundation, which works to support various progressive educational initiatives that benefit the public in Turkmenistan, such as Soglik.org, and that is S-A-G-L-Y-K dot O-R-G, which has been working to improve public health literacy in Turkmenistan over the past 12 years, including becoming a leading source of COVID information in the Turkmen language. Victoria Clement is a scholar, historian, and an author who has traveled widely in Central Asia and has lived in Turkmenistan. Clement is one of the United States' foremost authorities on history, culture, and politics in Turkmenistan and a recognized expert on Central Asia. Her book, Learning to Become Turkmen, Literacy, Language, and Power, 1914-2014, was published by the University of Pittsburgh Press in 2018. She runs the consulting firm Central Asia Insights in North Virginia. Thank you both for joining me. And Ainabat, I'm going to start with you. Um, in terms of domestic politics, uh, since Serdar became president, what has changed exactly in the country? Anything that you saw? Thank you, Bruce. So, uh, overall, Serdar Berdimuhamedov's administration further isolated the country uh, from our observations, both economically, financially, and intellectually. So the data statistics that is vital for policymaking and decision-making is still unavailable in Turkmenistan. So the IMF and the World Bank uh, continue excluding uh, Turkmenistan from its reports due to lack of reliable, credible data. The narrative of zero COVID infections and death continue in Turkmenistan, and there are no plans to to release the results of 2012 census and the last census that happened in December 2022. So, most importantly, no economic reform has been taken to address um, harmful uh, dual exchange rate of the Manad that has devastating impact on the population and business in Turkmenistan, both small and medium-sized business. Strict currency control continues. And we see that Serdar um, Berdimuhamedov inherited an annual inflation rate of over 50% in 2021. And in 2022, the inflation went down by 11%. But all this is done, this is a result of command and control economic measures. The cost of food items remain high, and the black market exchange rate is still six times higher than the official exchange rate. So another things that we can I can I would like to outline and then we can come back um, is that the government intensified internet shutdowns in 2022 uh, and is trying to build intranet to seal off the population from information from access to information modern information and science. In 2022, there were four internet shutdowns registered by independent groups um, in Turkmenistan. So the internet is very slow, it's very expensive, and it's aggressively censored in Turkmenistan. 
Um, I can say a few words about travel restrictions that still continue in practice. Um, and it's exacerbated by the fact that, that thousands of Turkmens outside of Turkmenistan uh, walk around with expired travel passports. And this latest development in September, uh, the government asked Turkey to introduce visa for citizens of Turkmenistan, which really impacted the economic, educational and job opportunities uh, of, of Turkmen citizens. And um, in April, May 2022, we witnessed big, like unprecedented campaign to control and restrict women's um, uh, and girls' choices um, in, in Turkmenistan. So we, we can talk about it more later. It's, um, it's really, for me, it's a continuation of policies uh, that were put in place before Sirdar came in, uh, Sirdar Birdu Muhammadov came into power, because when we look at the access to sexual and reproductive uh, services in Turkmenistan uh, by women, has been deteriorating quite for some time. So this is this all should be viewed as a more should, should call for more nuanced conversation and understanding how the status of women and girls are changing in Turkmenistan. Excellent. Thank you. We're going to get back to that and, and look into that in more depth in just a second. But Victoria, I, I also want to get your uh, impressions about the socioeconomic conditions in Turkmenistan. There, there was speculation that perhaps once Serdar was elected president, that to, to gain some public support, he would do something to uh, help the people get more access to food, for instance, basically. We know there's lines for bread in a lot of places. That, that he would do something to help the people out in terms of their personal economies, uh, their standard of living. Um, did anything like that happen or is it or stay the same? Well, thank you for having me, Bruce. Thank you for devoting this session to, uh, to Turkmenistan as well. I don't think that Sirdar or, or his father, for that matter, have facilitated much change in a positive direction in the lives of the, the people, socioeconomically speaking. But I do want to I do want to qualify one point. Just that you mentioned that people are standing in in lines for for bread, and my understanding is that there's not so much a food shortage in the country as there is a shortage of state subsidized products. So um, people are uh, certainly looking for less expensive pr- produce and, and groceries, and and this is what is causing these lines to form is that they're, they want to shop at the, the state subsidized stores. So there's not so much a um, deep hunger in the country, but there is a, a problem with people getting jobs and that hasn't been alleviated in recent months. No. Okay. Uh, thank you. And what's your, what's overall on the economic situation? Um, you know, you mentioned that the job situation hasn't increased. Or hasn't improved any. Uh, so I'm kind of curious, what uh, in terms of the economy for the average person, have you seen any improvements there? Uh, you know, again, when I look at this, it seems like now the Turkmen people are being charged for anything the government can think of to charge them for. Uh, we know that subsidies for water, gas, electricity were dropped finally. Any any hint that the situation has been getting better, or are we still seeing the government lean on the people as much as possible to make up for economic shortfalls? Well, my impression is that things have gotten better since since we've gotten over the pandemic 
major part of the pandemic crisis. But I would refer you to to Ainabat on this and her Palau Index, which looks at the cost of living in the country. Uh, They do a great job of measuring what it costs to to get by day to day in in Turkmenistan. Uh, Thank you, Victoria, for highlighting that. Yes, so we, um, as I said, that I mentioned that Sirdar Birt Muhammadov inherited an annual inflation rate very high, over 50% in 2021. And the cost of food items, the ones that we track and the hollow ingredients, five of them, uh, show that it's there's a show the deflation. So the, the inflation went down, but the starting point, you know, 50% and it went down by 11, it's just sounds like a good news when you look at that, you know, segmented information, fragmented. But if you compare to 2021, it's still, it's still problematic. It's problematic. Uh, what, what does it mean? First of all, just following up on a, on a previous question, I, I'm not sure if then that even, even the government has measure of poverty in Turkmenistan. So there is this narrative of we have no poverty it continues. Poverty levels are not measured. And going to your next back to your, ne- to your next question about the economic situation, there are deep there's widening inequality. Even in in a in a given economic situation, the pockets on of inequality, city versus uh, rural areas, urban r- versus rural areas. So we have we we have very limited information. I mean, Turkmenistan is a black box, right? But it's What's happening um, uh, beyond uh, big cities or like uh, Ashgabat? It's it's very hard to assess. But the, we know that there is a flow of migrants continue. Uh, young people uh, continue, you know, searching for better economic opportunities uh, outside of Turkmenistan. And this introduction of visa, we can talk about it uh, to Turkey. It, it really hurt the Turkmen public. And I would I would just add one thing, Bruce. Overall, and just an overall comment that um, everything Ainabat says, I, I agree with completely. There's an untapped human capital in that country. There's an untapped human potential. So even though we have a lot of uh, problems that we're highlighting today, we do see indicators that people want to engage. They don't. They don't. They do have agency, and they do want to engage their society, their economy, the world. And um, some of these indicators are things like um, the American corners being always full with, with waiting lines to, for people to get on computers, people paying for schooling, people paying for um, a- a- extra classes after school or after work to learn a foreign language or learn computer skills or accounting skills or some kind of vocational skill. So, I, I see I see that the people have greater potential than their government is making space for them. Yeah, this is a really important point, and thank you for raising that. And actually, I want to I want to do a little bit more, keep talking about this for another couple of minutes, um, because last year I was talking with somebody about the media situation in Turkmenistan, and they've opened up the government has opened up all these websites that are putting out message reports in in different languages uh, besides Turkmen, so in Russian and English, and and. Um, and this person who had been is outside Turkmenistan but had worked with the media said actually the level of journalism in the country is very very high. Uh, that that people have been to these seminars that are done by the OSCE or the United States and then they've received special training. Unfortunately, 
they don't have the opportunity. Once they are working as journalists, there is a you know, framework they have to work with inside of. Uh, and, and so they can't show how, how good they really are because there's, a, there's sensors and everything has to be done according to the, gov- the government's regulations. There ha- you haven't seen, since Sardar came in, you haven't seen any attempt to try to tap into the great human capital that's a re- as a resource in that country? I, I can just, we know one thing is that not a single news story, you know, not a single story has been published in the state media in 2022, raising the problems, issues that matter for an average Turkmen. So that's, that's a fact. So there is a, the censorship continues. Yes, I agree with, uh, with Victoria and with you, or uh, Bruce, that the the uh, human capital is is high and it's not that we lack skills but we really have to start asking questions that are going to help Turkmen's. Uh, first of all it's this pervasive paralyzing fear of last 30 years they are even on a good day let's say we turn on the tv and Serdar Birdu Muhammadov goes on tv and says well, just let's imagine this future, right? I know it might be very hard. This says, you know, I you can write and speak whatever you want. I'm not going to do anything. Um, internal services, uh, security services, not going to do anything. It's not going to happen. You, you know, Turkmen's are not going to turn off their TV and they start start speaking up their mind. So it's a it's a freedom as psychological process is something that needs to be articulated, studied, researched in Turkmenistan. Because it's, uh, for maybe outsider, it's a fascinating experiment, but for an insider who's, you know, life is ticking, life goes on, it's not a really nice experiment. But for an outsider to see that, you know, uh, cognitive dissonance that Turkmen's employ, you know, including journalists, um, self-censorship, um, preference falsification, double think. This is this is not going to disappear. Even even if tomorrow government comes, you know, and makes a statement that you know <laughs> that this is this is over. You can you can just do whatever you, you can just say whatever you want, right? So these are very complex processes that, and I'm glad that we're raising this this kind of very very important issues. Thanks. Uh, then you know I want to because the, one of the biggest changes that I noticed under Sardar was this, was the treatment of women, and so I want to make sure we give time for that. Uh, Victoria, if you don't have anything to add to the previous questions about the socioeconomic condition, I'd like to ask on about then uh, about the the changes in the way that they view women. Uh, there's all these new restrictions, none of which are written, but all, but everyone understands that there's new government policies as as uh, as regard women. Can you explain some of what, what the changes were? Uh, you mean in 2022? Yeah, after Sardar became president. Yes. yes. So um, the, we, will, we saw a lot of, um, you know, reports. If anybody follows Turkmenistan, a lot of reports in international media that the, um, the beauty salons have been, were closed, you know, um, Women could not see, could not sit in the driver's seat. You know, all these reports were available for for people outside of the country. Inside the country, it was really hard to confirm 
for, for any one person saying that this is truly happening, there will be five people saying that this is not happening because it's, it's just really hard to get to the to get you know to truth to the to the to the situation in the country. But the most important thing is that this happened in 2022. This campaign and uh, and I keep saying that there are no processes structures to prevent this happening again so this arbitrary rules selective application of rules uh, in terms of restricting women's uh, women's and girls choices their way of life might happen again so but we we I, I, I think a lot how does this work why is this happening because it's very important to say that Turkmen's ordinary citizen participates in this. We don't know to which level, but the Turkmen themselves participate in this. And my my explanation as of I, today, I, I mean, you know, if anybody is from listeners have other opinion, I would be happy to hear, hear it, is that so the, the domestic life, family life, is the only domain left for Turkmen to do something, you know, to to regulate, to innovate, or whatever you call it, and we don't have any, we don't have any laws that are being enforced against domestic violence, for example, sexual violence. The the government kind of tells the signals to the to the men and boys, saying, "Listen, I will not interfere with your private life, meaning your your domestic life. You will have a difficult." You, you will encounter structural violence on a daily basis. It will be hard for you to run a business, to register it, to, to get a job or whatever you want. It's like structural violence. But, you know, when you come home and you're frustrated, we don't really care what you do in your family, or with your children, with your wife, you know, as in terms of um, what kind of physical, emotional, psychological violence you inflict on other uh, family members. So even like... We, I see that the, the rise that men and men, without knowing it, most of the cases, men and uh, boys are being manipulated by the system. So they just they just really cling to this story that there's no. This, I'm talking about Turkmen's here. That there's no violence. Um, there's no violence in in Turkmen families. So yeah. So it's it's a very as I said. This this is outward uh, manifestations of it that we can't wear this, we can't wear that, but it's a much deeper way we have to delve in as researchers and observers. There are much deeper things are happening in, in, in Turkmen family di- dynamics, in the dynamics of the family. Yeah, uh, thank you. You know, one of the things um, that had been curious for me about this whole process is, of course, that Turkmenistan borders Afghanistan. Now, if the Taliban impose some, such restrictions, uh, while you might not understand it, at least it would be in keeping with their practice of government. But it seems so strange that Turkmenistan would implement these kind of unwritten rules. And Victoria, do you have any comments on this? I, I do. I think it's really important to underscore what Ainabat and, and you just said, that these are unwritten rules. And because they are not laws and there is no structure putting them in place, and, and as Ainabat said, there's no structure pr- that will prevent them prevent it from occurring in the future. But these are, this is an example, I believe, of another type of event happening in Turkmenistan that is that is fueled by rumors, is fueled by what people think the leadership wants. So 
I spoke to people in Turkmenistan who, women, who said they had absolutely no trouble finding taxis, getting into taxis during this time period that this was being reported on. So it was a very uneven experience uh, among the people. And I think that that is, stems from the fact that it's an unwritten idea, concept, and rule that some, some people think the leadership might want. And, you know, you brought up Afghanistan, and I think I don't want to give the listeners the wrong impression that this has something to do with with religion. This has to do with control. Any any kind of event we see like this where there are per- perceived perceptions that there should be restrictions on, on movement or, or society, this has to do with uh, a sense of someone needing a sense of control. And it's not it's not a religious it's not a religious question. Um, Bruce, if I may just add to to Victoria's um, um, observation, it's just to confirm it, but it's also um, kind of a, to just to look at it from a different perspective. So when when you get this kind of conflicting reports, and in whatever happens in Turkmenistan, you're going to have conflicting reports because there is no government agency that steps in and explains what's happening. So it's very important to say that, to note that no government agency, no government ministry came out to address this issue. It's been, it, it poured for like two months on international media, um, you know, different reports, different outlets. So there, there was nobody, nobody, nobody explained what really happened. There was no government's version explanation of events that's lacking and it's just not in this in in any single um sphere of life of Turkmenistan is not explained you do not hear government narrative and another thing is that really contributing to this to to this situation is there's no education on on gender equality in Turkmen language as we know that the Turkmen population uh, is is increasingly the number of people, young people, who speak Russian and English, uh, not English, but like mostly Russian, is decreasing. So if you do not speak Russian or English, I'm very sad to report that, for example, on sexuality education, Saglik will be the only, and I'm not exaggerating, the last book was written in 1990s on sexuality in Turkmen. That will be the only source of, of um, scientifically correct information. So it's it's this type of little things contribute to this overwhelming situation we've got now. Okay, thank you very much for the clarification. And this is a topic, obviously, we could devote a whole podcast just to women's issues in Turkmenistan, but we, we do need to get the whole the whole uh, big view of what has happened uh, since Sardar became president. So, Victoria, I'm going to go to you and ask about foreign policy. Have Have there been any significant shifts in Turkmenistan's foreign policy since Sardar showed up? Yes and no. Uh, yes, there's been there have been more people, more representatives from Russia visiting Turkmenistan. We also had uh, Sardar and his father both visiting Moscow, meeting with Putin in Moscow. And I say, so I say yes, because there seems to be a cozying up to Russia. I'm not so sure how much that changes the political scene uh, for the, for the Turkmen people, but what it does seem to affect is the 
this ignoring of alternatives to the West for for things like gas export. So there's um, in, in in addition to going to 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 Moscow, Serdar went to Beijing. So there's a there's a friendliness with Russia that's been warming, and there is a uh, a strategic partnership that they that they're building with Moscow, and there's a a, a a closeness to Beijing as well. And as we know, the country is nearly utterly dependent on uh, China for its gas exports. So so yes, at the highest level, there have been some some new events that have, that have occurred, you know, um, uh, Mr. Putin awarded Serdar and his father with the order of friendship. And, and he also visited Ashgabat during the year, but does this affect the average Turkmen person? I, I'm not so sure that it does. Okay. Thanks. And I have a follow-up to that too. I mean, some people have noted that, that Russian Turkmen relations that are actually getting much closer, even prior to Serdar becoming president, when, it, when his father was president, that they, in recent years, it's been getting closer. Uh, and people have suggested that maybe the, the reason for that is, is Moscow's support for the Berdy Mukhamedov clan. Um, do you see that? Do you think that's, that's the big uh, attraction for Serdar and his father, is that Moscow is giving, is giving them uh, guarantees that they will help to keep them in power? I've heard those rumors as well. I'm not sure that I have any particular insight into what's happening at, at you know between Putin and the and the leadership there. But I I will say that I agree with those analysts who say that there has been a a deepening of the ties. Okay, thank you. Uh, any other countries you've seen making inroads or or Turkmenistan reaching out to since Sardar has been in power? Well, I, I mean, it's worth noting that the United States sent Assistant Secretary of State for um, the Bureau of South and Central Asian Affairs, Ambassador Donald Liu, to Ashgabat in uh, last November. And there was an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding signed um, regarding health and medical services, how that will be implemented, what that will mean for the long term remains to be seen, but at least we did see this uh, high-level representative from the State Department visiting Ashgabat. He was there for three days. He he had productive meetings, and he also um, discussed the launch of an e- economic resilience initiative in Central Asia to provide funding to bolster trade routes. So the United States has, has been present and seems to be indicating that it's not willing to cede or utterly cede this area to Russia or, or China. And the United States has an interest in um, maintaining that bilateral relation with Turkmenistan. Great. Thank you. Uh, and we've reached the halfway point in our discussion. So it is time for me to remind that this is the Medjilis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Benair, host of Medjilis and author of the weekly Central Asia Focus newsletter. We're talking about Serdar Berdy Mukhamedov's first year as Turkmenistan's president. And joining me for the discussion are Victoria Clement, a scholar, historian, and author who has traveled widely in Central Asia and lived in Turkmenistan. Victoria is one of the United States' foremost authorities on the history, culture, and politics in Turkmenistan and a recognized expert on Central Asia. 
Her book, Learning to Become Turkmen, Literacy, Language, and Power, 1914 to 2014, was published by the University of Pittsburgh Press in 2018. She runs the consulting firm Central Asian Insights in Northern Virginia, and she is the author of a recently published article for The Diplomat entitled The Aura of Governance in Turkmenistan. Ainabati Ailimova, founder and executive director of Progress Foundation, which works to support various progressive educational initiatives that benefit the public in Turkmenistan, such as Saglik.org, and that is, again, S-A-G-L-Y-K dot O-R-G, which has been working to improve public health literacy in Turkmenistan over the last 11 years, including becoming a leading source of COVID-19 information in the Turkmen language. So, Victoria, um, Sardar, a lot of people thought that, that really nothing much had changed when Sardar was president during 2022. But at the start of this year, we all kind of got a little bit of a shock when they, they changed the whole structure of government. And suddenly, uh, although you remain president, Sardar's position doesn't seem so important. Can you explain some of what, what just happened here with the changes in the structure of government and how that affected Sardar's position? Sure. Sardar had held the president, the, the position of president for just about a year when it was announced that the uh, legislature was going to be reformed and the bicameral legislature was going to be reduced to a unicameral body uh, so that the Mejlis would be the, the legislature and a new body named the Hulk Maslahati or the People's Council would be formed as the supreme and an independent body in, in the country and that the Halkamaslahati, although that name had been used before for other bodies, is going to be a new a new entity with um, Sirdar's father, Gurban Guli Berdi Muhammadov, at the helm. Now, this new entity has the power to, it, it, it intends to have the power to amend the constitution, um, have control over domestic and foreign policy, and it has within it uh, representatives from all branches of government. So the president, so while while Serdar's father, Gurban Guli, is the chair or the head of this body, the new Halk Maslahati, uh, the president is also a member, as well as representatives from the legislature and the judiciary. So we've collapsed the branches of government all into one entity with Serdar's father at the head. So while Sardar remains the president, his father seems to have accumulated the majority of the power in the country. Thank you. You know, at the start of the show, I mentioned that the Gurban Guli Berdi Mukhamad have never really left the political scene. Aina uh, Bat, you are in contact with people that are from Turkmenistan and some that might even still be in Turkmenistan. Was anyone surprised or, or just, did they even understand the change? Uh, or, or they just figured... Gurban Guli was always the head, so now he's got a different title, but he's still now the leader of the nation and still the head of the country. You know, Bruce, the the Victoria put it all so well together, this latest developments, but when talked on average Turkmen, both inside and outside the country, they might know about the developments in space, you know, just to give you the, the kind of a comparison. Uh, then what's happening in the political life, this restructuring changes, you know. So it's a deeply apolitical society. It's not like 
the whole structure of before was working or some elements of it to certain limited degrees and then we face this uh, changes and it's going to play kind of concern uh, impact our lives it's it's just there's indifference there is since the civic life is almost dead in Turkmenistan so it's uh, this didn't get even much attention yes there were few people groups of people covering this but for the, its relevancy for people inside the country is very minimal also would like to tell you that there are parliamentary elections are happening um, in March so again um, OOC or your office is, is, is there right now um, uh, from news so the last parliamentary elections that were you know um, in, in 2018, they were not free. There was no pluralism. It's, I mean, it's up there. It's, it's an open access. The information uh, about about the OSC's um, statements. So it's, it has, in short, it has, it has no, you know, it's not relevant for an average person. It, people are not. People will actually start. Will divert the conversation. They're like, what are you, what are you talking about? This is. This has no relevancy for me, and I have no interest in this. Yeah, I was afraid that might be the situation. Thank you uh, for clarifying that. Victoria, I'm going to come back to you. What What does the Office of President of the President of Turkmenistan mean now after these changes? Who is Sardar exactly at this point? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And you know, this just happened a few weeks ago, so we still have to. We're still not 100% sure how this is going to play out on a day-to-day basis, but Sardar still is making trips, um, state visits, and he's still a representative of the country. But you know, a couple of things I'll say, and alluding to something that you said at the beginning of the hour, was that Sardar could have been the new young leader who could have modernized the government and, and, and improved life. But he didn't make any constructive changes while he was in office or in his first year in office, I should say. And I think that although this um, formal resurgence, this codification of the power of uh, Gurdban Guli, his father is recent, it was in the works before this, this past few weeks. So on one hand, we can say that there is an ease with which we see this dynastic succession being put in place. But in fact, this was, I think this was being planned for a while. And I, I'm not so sure that Berdi Mohamedov ever, uh, father, ever intended to step down fully. Just to follow up real quickly, um, you know, Gurban Guli was the one that went to the, the summit, the extraordinary summit of the Organization of Turkic States. Now, admittedly, Turkmenistan is a is an observer, still has observer status at this point, but uh, the presidents of Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, and Uzbekistan all went to this. And yet, Gurban Guli Berdi Mukhamedov, the chairman of the Hawk Maslahati, and not Serdar Berdi Mukhamedov, the president of the country, went. Is that a bad sign? No confidence vote? No, I, that's a really good point that you make. I think that it 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 implies that Serdar is going to remain a, a kind of figurehead, so he'll handle some uh, state visits, some meetings, some public appearances, and his father will handle some as well. So perhaps Serdar will handle the more uh, superficial events. It's it that remains unclear at this time. But they've they've both since this announcement was made, they have both made f- uh, visits with foreigners 
or foreign representatives? Bruce, if I may add. Please. Yes. So um, I hear several interesting different things from from um, young people and, you know, people inside the country. So I hear this um, explanation that he will mature. Serdar Birda Mohamed will mature. It will take some time. Just give him some time. He, he, he will mature. Just don't, you guys don't need to talk about it. <laughs> don't think about it. Um, it was, I have to tell you that there was a general mood at the very beginning that young people like that Sirdar, that Sirdar Birdu Muhammad wasn't as flamboyant as his father. So meaning there were less, um, you know, this mass events or less, it hasn't disappeared, but less applauding, you know, less uh, stage events, like, you know, so but it, it's it feels like it's coming back, but I cannot quantify it, so I cannot. It's very it's a very um, uh, subjective feeling. Um, and there are interesting two explanations that are, where I hear that he's that Sirdar Birdu Muhammad is is um, uncomfortable the way he projects, you know, his demeanor, uncomfortable with the. This, his father's flamboyant behavior, right? Um, but it's, but he's he's doing this because he's a good son. That's a Turkmen narrative family. You know, you don't you don't say no to your father. You don't object. He's just being a good Turkmen son. That's one explanation I hear. And the second is that he increasingly looks like, um, you know, a, a, a young person, a teenager. Who, who has to put up with his grandfather from, you know, who lived through Soviet Union. You know, it's uh, through Savok and he does things that are really, um, you know, antiquated. It's not, you know, it's not hip, but you have to kind of, you have to go with it because it's because of the culture and because of the, you know, um, because of the family relations and all that stuff. So I, I keep hearing this, these things, but it's, of course, nobody knows what's going to happen. Uh, thank you. And I got to admit, you know, I'm uncomfortable with a lot of Gurban Guli, Berdy Mukhamedov's uh, flamboyant uh, behavior, too. Some of those videos he made uh, really made me wonder about the person that was leading Turkmenistan. Victoria, I want to ask you a question, though, too. Um, you know, and I know this is purely subjective, but do you get the impression that Sardar is just uncomfortable being in that position? He, he never looks very happy in front of the camera. Absolute opposite of his father. Yeah, I, I do get that impression. And I I wonder if Gurban Guli, the father's new title, national leader, it, which is being really um, used as as instead of even Arkadag these days. Not that Arkadag is is out of fashion completely, but people are being told not to refer to Gurban Guli as the former president, but refer to him as the national leader. So I and I think that Sardar is probably going to be more comfortable with with him taking a, a larger role. Okay, thank you. And we'll get to my final question, but I'll, I'll give you a chance to make any comments you want to. Is there any reason at all that we should hope to see anything different than what we've seen really since 2007, when uh, Gurban Guli Berdy Mukhamedov was, was elected president the first time? Do you see any, I'll start with you, Anabat, do you see any signs of any changes uh, in the domestic policies or in the lives, the socioeconomic conditions of the Turkmen people coming in the future? Well, I would like to be hopeful, of course, but um, not to entertain the false hope, of course. But based as based on structures what we have right now and narratives, it's least likely that we're going to see 
big changes. But I would like to clarify here, what, what changes are we really talking about? Economy, yes, it's possible. Easing restrictions on, on, on social life, it is possible. Sirtak Birdu Muhammadov can do that. Yes, I would like to assign an agency to him because uh, in the West I hear that you know he has zero agency, he can't do that. But I would like to, 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 to think that he has agency to do that. So also there, another factor is that there is some kind of emerging civic activism uh, new ge- coming from new generation, the last generation is not perfect. The capacity is low. It will require a lot of investments, but there is some kind of emerging um, uh, civic activism. And when I say this, it doesn't mean for political change in political system or more human rights or anything like that. It's not very well formulated, but it's more of focused on on economic and social issues, which which are much closer to an average person than than any other rights. So I think, yes, I, I th- th- there's a possibility there, but you know we will we'll have to hope for the better. Okay, thank you. And Victoria, um, kind of the same question, but but I'm going to add a little bit to here too. You know, Turkmenistan. You've been watching Turkmenistan for a long time. You, you as I mentioned in your your bio, you're one of the experts uh, on the on Turkmenistan. You know, neutrality used to mean total isolation, but they, but in recent years, even before Serdar became president, there was hints that that's no longer possible to the degree it was ten or fifteen years ago. Do you see Turkmenistan emerging, even if just a little bit, from this isolation that that really? Characterize the country for so long? Are, are they they reaching out more to foreign countries? Uh, you know, paying more attention to, to ties and partnerships with with uh, foreign partners. I recently looked at the Medjlis website, the legislative branch's website, and I couldn't help but notice there were several mentions of Russian visitors coming into the country, and I felt like it was a little bit it was uh, it was being highlighted. And so what I fear is that, yes, there is a bit more um, interest in ties. They, they might not be the ties that, that people in the West are hoping Turkmenistan makes. As far as, you know, as far as U.S. goes, there is a new, there, there soon will be a new opening with a, with a hopefully um, experienced Russian-speaking career diplomat, Elizabeth Rood, coming in as the new ambassador she just had her hearing this week so that's a that's a positive step in that relationship so do i see you know do i do i think there will be change in the future i hope there will be positive change and it's possible but it's not probable thank you like i said i was just asking because there was a time where turkmenistan was practically walled off i mean nobody got in uh, and they didn't really reach out to many people outside um, for any help or, or advice uh, or anything, really. Um, so uh, it's. A, uh, I was just curious what you thought about that. Okay, I'm going to uh, offer you both a chance to uh, make a last comment, anything I missed that you think is important, anything that you wanted to say uh, that we didn't get to, and I'll start with you, Victoria. Well, I'll say that the uh, there's a word that has been coined, tandemocracy, with respect to this leadership, and I think that that's going to persist for quite a while, meaning that uh, son and father are going to rule together. And whether this, you know, has an effect on the lives of the people in any positive way remains to be seen. We just have to be hopeful for that. 
Okay, great. Thank you. Ainaba? I would like also, of course, to stay hopeful, but use this opportunity, uh, Bruce, to call for a more discussions on Turkmenistan, more nuanced discussions where we talk about how, what kind of agency Turkmens have, citizens of Turkmenistan, in, in their contribution to what's happening in, in the country right now, and also international community. I know this time we did not talk about it, but it's one of the things that we closely monitoring how the how the you know the the reports and the and the words uh, by international community match the, the their actions in Turkmenistan, the diplomats and diplomats and international community uh, actors um, uh, reports. So I think we 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 need to deepen our, our understanding of the issues in the country and start asking more uh, nuanced questions to to better understand the possibilities. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you very much. And I already marked that down as something to, as a future topic for the Medjlis podcast. I appreciate that. But we have gotten to the end of the broadcast. So I want to thank you, Anabat, and I want to thank you also, Victoria, for being guests on the show. Uh, excellent comments. Appreciate it very much. Uh, and the big thank you, as always, to Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjlis podcast producer in Washington, D.C., and a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjlis podcast or the Central Asian Focus newsletter by visiting Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfarl.org. Thank you very much, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.